Our Bible reading this morning is Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read once again from verse 8 through to verse 17. Let's hear the word of God together. Colossians chapter 3. <coughs> We're reading from verse 8. Let's hear the word of God. The words will come up on screen for all your online. Colossians 3 verse 8. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, Barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, as we continue with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians, my text today is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, and I've entitled the theme, The Priority of Love's Overcoat. Now, remember in Colossae that false teachers were promoting their false humanistic philosophy and spouting forth their so-called wise knowledge. These false teachers placed a lot of emphasis on circumcision as of a necessity to be truly saved. And a lot of other legalistic man-made rules is the way or the secret to spiritual growth. And in order to counter all this heretical teaching, the Apostle Paul teaches the Colossae Church, and us as well, that true Bible-believing Christianity means that we are in union with the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in Christ, via the new birth, we put off the old man, with a life of iniquity, with a life of immorality, anger and malice and lying. And we've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You see, the Apostle Paul goes on to emphasize that the old man's distinctions that divided us, the Jew, the Gentile, the circumcision, the uncircumcision, the barbarian, the, 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 the Scythian, bond or free, it no longer matters. Because Christ is all in, in, in all. And in light of this new man, we're the elect of God, holy and beloved. 
And we must put on seven things, seven Christian graces. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. What are we to put on as items of clothing? Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, forgiving one another. The words one another remind us that the Apostle Paul is discovering life and the uh, relationship of the church fellowship in Colossae. Here's the life to gather in the fellowship of God's people. As Christians, we're called to worship and fellowship. And as we're called to worship and fellowship, we're to put on the new man. We're a completely new person in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And in light of being born again of the Holy Spirit, then we've been enabled to put off this old sinful life. And then we've been enabled as well by grace to put on this new man. We've been made anew. We're we're a, a new, completely different individual. And because of this new life in Christ, we have a new wardrobe to display. Remember the sermon a few weeks ago? New clothing for new Christians. And these items of clothing are in reality Christian graces. And they characterize us now. They belong to the new life in Christ. We in Christ have been wearing them and to put them on as garments. Just as the ungodly man clothes himself with godlessness. Psalm 109 verse 18. So the new man will clothe himself with these graces. You see our dress tells us a lot about the person. Isn't there a distinctiveness about a, a particular dress? Ladies dressed in a Chinese dress or a Japanese dress. They they stand out in the crowd. And of course, all of us, no doubt, love to dress up and be nice, whether in a new dress or a new suit. Now you think of a Christian, born again of the Holy Spirit, clothed with these seven Christ-like graces. Now we come to verse 14. Look at verse 14 together. What does it say? And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. The young people, that word charity in the authorized version, you see, when you think of the word charity, you hear it mentioned, you you think of a collecting tin. You think of a charity shop in Belfast or somewhere else. You you think of a, a, a needy cause. The authorized version translators deliberately chose a unique word to mean divine love. It's the Greek word agape. You see, there's four Greek words for love. But here's the highest. Here's the greatest. Here's the grandest, best kind of love ever imaginable. It's agape love. It's divine love. They could have chosen the word love. But they wanted to make a distinction here. They wanted to set it apart. And they they come up with this word charity, which means undeserved and unmerited divine love. In other words, it's God's love to us in Christ. And Paul is saying this is the most beautiful grace. This is the most important quality. This is the most Unique and the most uniting grace. And if you put together Colossians chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14, 
The last grace that he mentions is charity. And that's eight in total. And eight's the number of a new beginning. He's saying besides all these characteristics, besides all these qualities, on top of them all, wrap the grace of love around yourself. Not just on Sunday. You see, we've got a Sunday suit, haven't we? We've got a Sunday dress. Or a special dress or a special suit that we wear on odd occasions if it's a very special outing. But these graces are not for special outings or just for Sunday. They're for every day of the year. Here's every day gear for the Christian. Every day we're to put on these eight items. These seven. And on top of these seven, you put love on like an overcoat. And of course, some of us wear overcoats, especially in a windy or a wet day. Here's the overcoat of love. Put it on over everything else. Because that is the bond of perfectness. Listen to the text again. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, three things this morning. Think of the priority of love's overcoat. He says, and above all these things put on charity. You see, it's the most important. And this love that he mentions, using the word charity, is very distinct. It's love to God. It's love to your neighbor. Remember what we read in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 22 and verse uh, 37, we read these words when asked the question by a lawyer about uh, the greatest uh, commandment. The Lord Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now here's the two great commandments. Now listen to me carefully. Do you love God this morning with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you also love your neighbor as yourself? You see, you can't love God, and you will not love God and love your neighbor as yourself until, first of all, you're born again of the Holy Spirit. Until that love of God, this divine love that we're talking about, is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. Romans 5 and 5. Now, now think of this. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16 and 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. That means let him go to the lowest hell. And remember three times the Lord Jesus asked Peter, John 21 verses 15, 16 and 17, three times, each for each denial, lovest thou me more than these, Peter? The second time, lovest thou me. The third time, lovest thou me. You see, that's a very important question. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ more than these things? Let me tell you a wee story. Here's a wee girl and she's having a sleepover at a friend's house. She's a young girl. And they're having dinner together around the family table. 
And the vegetable on the table is buttered broccoli. I hope you all love buttered broccoli. And the mother of the girl that invited her for the sleepover asked this young girl if she liked broccoli. And she said, oh yes, I love it. And of course the bowl was passed to her, but she politely declined. No, thank you. And then the mother said, but I thought you said you loved broccoli. Oh yes, I do, ma'am, but not enough to eat it. I do, ma'am, but not enough to eat it. Yes, I love broccoli, but not enough to eat it. You see, that sums up the attitude and the mindset of thousands of professing Christians in the world. If I asked them, do you love the church, their local congregation, whatever it is, they would say, oh, yes. But here's the follow-up. Then why are you not sacrificing everything for the well-being of your church that you say you love? Where's your commitment? Where's the spending time in the house of God? Where's the giving of yourself for prayer? Where's your tithes and offerings? If the Lord has blessed you with great riches, then you should be using your riches for the glory of God. Our best should be for our God. But we shouldn't be belittling God by saying we love him but they're not showing commitment to him and his house. Is there not a lack of faith today? Is there not a lack of vision? Is there not a lack of burden? You see, we as Christians, we talk a good talk. We pretend, but the Lord really knows the heart and mind. He knows those that are listening and doing, and he knows that are just listening. You see, where is the love of the well-being of the house of God? Do we use every grace and gift for to display our love for the work and witness of God? See, I never forget a wee man down in Sandy Row. He belongs to the Temperance Lodge down there. He used to say this, and I believe it was All Souls Parish Church he's referring to. Didn't he forget the church? And if we asked, do you love the church? Oh, yes. But where's the commitment? And I have to say this morning, I'm calling not just upon you as this congregation and carried off FPC. I'm calling on the people within Northern Ireland. Those who would say, well, I love my church, but they never darken its door. They don't attend to its services. They don't support that church in any shape, form or fashion. And that is wrong. That, that is sinful. And I, I call upon the unionist, Protestant, loyalist people today to go back to the house of God. Go back to the worship of God. Go back to the book of God on the day of God. And especially those who belong to the Grand Orange Lodge. Every one of them should be in the house of God on the Sabbath day. Wherever they choose. I'm not saying they should all be free Presbyterians. But they should all attend to the house of God somewhere. Within this sweet country of ours. Let me ask you another question this morning. See, this is the priority of love here. And above all these things, put on charity. Do you love your fellow Christians in the church? Do you know we're commanded to love one another? 
John chapter 13, verse 34. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. How are we to love one another? Well, the Lord Jesus answered it. John 13 and 34, 35. As I have loved you. You see, if you say that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbors yourself and you love the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, you have answered the question, lovest thou me more than me? And you can say with Peter, yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Then the outworking of that is to love God's people. And that involves, and I, I say this, and I've never asked for this, but it, it includes loving your minister and treating him as a minister of the gospel. You see, so many in the house of God, and I could take you to churches where there's fights and rows at this minute in time, where, where born-again believers are not on speaking terms. Him, I wouldn't bother with him. He ripped me off on a business deal. I wouldn't bother with her because she just loves herself. She, she isn't full of the Savior's love, and we judge one another. I wouldn't speak to her because she's a gossip, and she says things about me behind my back. And, there, and there's hard feelings between us. Where's the love to work out the differences? You see, when we think of the first century church, think of the church in Colossae. You would think, Colossae, I would love to be there. In modern day Turkey, think of the sunshine. Wonderful weather. It would be great. It would be a wonderful place to be. I wish I was there. Do you? Remember, there was only one church per city. There wasn't one for the Baptist. And there wasn't one for the Presbyterians. And there wasn't one for the Methodists. And there wasn't one for the Anglicans. And there wasn't one for the Pentecostals. There's only one. And if you didn't like the church, or you got upset with the pastor because he tramped on your toes and told you some things that you needed to hear, or you fell out with someone, you're stuck. Because you can't jump in your back of your donkey and go round the corner and down the road to another church. There is no other church. And you have to work things out. And that's what Paul is getting at. You see, today Christians, when they get their feelings hurt or get upset, have relational problems, family, friends, stranger, they just go to another church. Well, that church down the road, it's more loving. Those people are kinder. Those people have more respect. So, so people move on from one church to another. And then what happens is when they're hurt in that place and upset, then they move on to another place. And of course, many, many Christians throughout Christendom today, Northern Ireland, United Kingdom as a whole, America, there's dozens of places that they can go to. And, and, and they don't work on relational problems. They carry their hurts and their feelings with them. They carry their sin, never deal with it. They, they carry their damaged relationships. You see, it's easy to smile and say, oh, I love the brethren. She's my sister. She's my brother. He's the pastor. But not enough to support. Not enough to pray for. Not enough to speak to. So someone said to me the other day, I thought it was tremendous, Christians are like porcupines. And if you think of a, 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 a porcupine, you keep your distance. It's all in fine when you're 
keeping your distance. But you come up close and personal. You, you start getting close. Then what happens when you get close to a, a porcupine? Well, you get stuck. Or you get stung with the needle. And how many Christians have got stuck? And they don't experience true joy. They don't experience the true joy of real Christian fellowship. And what happens? The Lord's church suffers. The Lord's family suffers. It's affected. Now that's what I mean by the priority of love's overcoat. Secondly now, here's the second point. And above all these things, put on charity. Now, underline the word charity. I want you to think of the, the practicality of love's overcoat. Think of the necessity of this command because it's in the, the form of a command. I thought about this just the other day. If this command was not needed, if this kind of love was automatic or effortless, then this command would not be needed. You see, we, we like to think of the church as one big, loving, happy family. And it should be. But tell me this. Do you know of one big, happy family, loving family, that doesn't have its hurts, that doesn't have its disagreements, that doesn't have its disputes and conflicts? Do you know of any family that's playing happy families where there's never conflict or, or disputes or discord or misunderstandings? You see, love in the church, love to the Christian is the result of deliberate effort. There's a desire in the part of the individual's heart to work through every hurt, every disagreement, every dispute, the discord. You see, if this command was not necessary, we wouldn't need these eight graces. We wouldn't need to put them on every day. But I want to tell you, church fellowship is hard work. Church life is hard work. Being a Christian is hard work. Loving the brethren, the sisters, the pastor is hard work. And you see, this kind of love is not optional. It's not a take it or leave it thing. It's not a, a minor thing. In fact, I would go further and say it's, it's major. Let me put it this way. It's either do it or die. And isn't there churches dying today? Because there's not the love for God. And there's not the love for the Christian. And for everything that relates to Jesus Christ and his person and work. How many churches are dying and in decline because of the lack of this love? Let me tell you something. There's 55 direct commands in the Bible. 55 telling us to love one another. Think of that. 55 direct commands telling us to love one another. Let me just read a couple out. John 5 and 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Verse 10. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. 
Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Remember the word means divine love. Galatians 5 and 6, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. Galatians 5, 13 and 14, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, they shall love thy neighbor as thyself. Ephesians chapter, or Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also have loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And one more. Philippians 1 and 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. You see, these are just a few references out of the 55 that I could mention. It's a major theme. Here's the test of true Bible-believing Christianity. Remember the wee girl, Oh yes, ma'am, I love broccoli, but not enough to eat it. And that's how people love God, love Jesus Christ, Love the Bible, love the church, love the brothers and sisters, love the men of God. This command is necessary. Now, now think of something else. Think of the nature of this command. What does it mean when it says charity? Put on charity. You know that it means love. But what sort of love? The Beatles... Uh, I don't follow the Beatles. I, I don't like any of that pop, uh, rock type music. But remember they sung a song, All You Need Is Love. And of course it's easy to suppose to listen to, to the ear, and you, you feel a sense of emotion. All you need is love. But what sort of love? How do we define it? I want to tell you this morning, it's not love of self. It's certainly not love of money and riches. It's not a love of pleasure. You see, the love of this world is a love of self and money and riches and pleasure and power and position and possessions. There's another worldly song, I want to know what love is. But it's not a warm, funny feeling. It's not always being nice to everyone. This is biblical love. This is God's love. Now let me define it. Listen to me carefully. Love is a self-sacrificing grace which desires to promote the highest good of others even if they are your enemy. Let me repeat that. Love is a self-sacrificing grace which desires to promote the highest good of others even if they are your enemy. You see, at its core is a, a deep personal desire to promote the individual better than your highest good. This is more than just emotion. Emotions are involved. It's a settled principle in the will and the mind. It's the principle in which you as a Christian should operate. What you do and say in your treatment of others. How do you treat other Christians? That's the acid test. What you do and say in keeping your word as a Christian. 
That's the acid test. How you treat your brother, your sister, the pastor, or how I treat you, how we treat one another, that's all key to loving one another. As I've told you, this is a labor of love. It's not easy. It's not natural to us. It's natural to love self. Be a lover of money, pleasure, a lover of me. But it's only by the power of the Holy Ghost at work in our heart, who has shed the love of God in our heart, that enables us to love God and love our neighbor and love everything else that flows from that. Have you got the love of the world? Self, money, pleasure, possessions? Or you've got the love of the word of God in your heart, shed abroad by the Spirit. That's the nature of this command. It's self-sacrificing love. Think of the news of this command. You see, this love is single-minded. It's a love that cares. This love is steadfast. It's a love that commits. This love is sacrificial. Because it's a love that costs. You see, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And here's a scripture that says in 1 John, in chapter 3, and if my memory's right, it's um, verses 14 and verses um, through to 16. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Now listen to this. Because he laid down his life for us. That brings us to Calvary. The shed blood of the Lord Jesus on the cross for our sins. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now listen to the outworking of that. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here's the length that we're to go to. I'm to love my brother and my sister, even to the point I would die in their stead, even to the point of death. Now, if you're not prepared for that, then you don't have the love of Christ that cares, the love of Christ that commits, and the love of Christ that costs. You see, many say they love, but they stop short of being prepared to lay down their own life for the well-being and good of a brother or a sister or the work of God. It's like the little girl. I love broccoli, but not enough to eat it. And how many Christians are sitting in church or at home with hurts? And they've been affected by unkind words been affected by cruel treatment. They have been upset, maybe even to the point where they've got not only sad in their countenance, but they're mad as a hatter. And what do you do? Leave the church? Absolutely not. This is what you do. Go to God and ask God for grace. And you respond with loving words. And you respond with offering loving prayers for that individual that's treated you this way. And you display loving treatment in your actions. And remember all that you do and all you say is for Christ's sake. You see, if we love him, and that's the demand, we'll want to be like him. 
And we'll be inspired by the example of Christ. And it won't just be talk. It won't just be words. And there'll be times, yes, we've gently got to confront sin and maybe even administer church discipline. But we may gently have to confront a, a child of God were to do it with genuine concern, his well-being. The well-being of the church. And we're not blasting individuals into a thousand pieces. We want to bless them and help them. We want to build them up. We want them to do them good. You think of a home, and there's a husband, and he's sitting, and he's reading the newspaper. It says the Belfast Telegraph. Although you'd be better with a the newsletter. There's the wife, and she's busy. She's trying to cook the dinner. The dishes have to be done. The children have to be bathed and put to bed. Their storybooks have to be read. Prayers have to be said. Maybe the washing machine has to be filled. The floors have to be mopped. You know what you women all do? And there's the husband sitting reading the paper, and he's saying, God bless you, dear. I'll pray for you. The Lord will give you strength and help. What should he do? He should get up and he should say, I'll help. Because that's where love for your wives come in. As we're going to hear later on. Because this is not just about fellowship in the church. This is about living out the Christian life in the home. One final thing and our time is gone. Think of the potency. Not only the, the, the priority of love's overcoat. And think not only of the practicality of it. it, it it's, it's a necessary command. And here's the nature of it. And it's news that we've got to put into practice. But think about the potency of love's overcoat. Look at this last little phrase. Which is the bond of perfectness. Here's the basis for our true Christian unity. It's maturity in Christ. You see, the word bond of perfectness... The tie that binds all these graces into one is the overcoat, the overcoat of love. It's, it's the overcoat of love that is the tie that binds all these graces together, almost like it keeps them all shut in, keeps them all clean and healthy. Here's the tie that binds all the various members of the body of Christ together in one local body. In a, in, a, in a body, of course, it's not only local but universal. It's, it's the bond of love. These concepts, all three that I've mentioned, they're all true. Love is the overcoat. Love holds all the, the rest together. Love helps the members of the body to unite and be mature. And this kind of love, I say in closing, is a most powerful force. And you see, as I finish, the word love, young people, is one of the most abused words in the English vocabulary. It's one of the most misunderstood words of today. This is divine love. Therefore, it's distinct from the love of friends, the love of a man to a woman, the love of a man for things. This is God's love. And of course, as we define it, remember it's a sacrificial love that's committed to seek the highest good of others. And I finish with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we read this. I'm not going to explain it, I'm just reading it. 
First Corinthians 13, verse 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. There's nothing of self here. A lot of people say and do things out of self-interest. But this person who is filled with this sacrificial love of God in the heart does and says things for no recognition. And even if he gets no thanks or no acknowledgement, the attitude is, I'm doing it for his sake. I'm doing it for the master. And that's the kind of love and mindset that we need in the house of God right across this province. And that would make for very smooth and happy relationships. And that would make for the kind of fellowship in the church that the Lord Jesus talked about in John 13 when he said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. The attitude would be, look how these people love one another. Will you wear love's overcoat? Will you put it on on top of these seven graces that I've mentioned? And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness.